Uh, We're in a sermon series overheard at Starbucks, thinking about the coffee conversations that we have uh, over coffee or over tea or hot chocolate or whatever, uh, about life's important issues. And this morning, we're thinking together about uh, what difference does does Jesus make, really? And uh, we're going to be exploring that topic in just a moment. I'll be reading from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And if you want to open your Bibles so that you'll be able to follow along as I read that aloud, I invite you to do that. Right now, I'd like for us to pause, take a breath, just be in God's presence for a time of meditation and reflection, and then uh, I'll lead us in a prayer time. Loving Father, already in so many ways, we have heard the good news of Jesus Christ proclaimed in song and in prayers and in, in all the various handshakes and hugs and smiles that we've experienced. We pray this morning that uh, life's busyness, life's burdens, life's concerns and cares will not rob us of this worship time, that we will be totally present and available that we will be attentive to the voice of your Spirit, that nothing will hinder. And Lord, we pray that you would, uh, in a powerful and special way, minister to the brokenness and pain within our congregation and community, the sickness, the grieving, the unemployment, the family struggles, the fears and the worries, all of those concerns. And God, we pray for a larger world that is fractured, that needs your touch. We remember today our partners in Ukraine with all of the unrest that is happening there, that, that you might somehow calm and, and uh, restore peace and uh, preserve the rights of, uh, of, of people and care for and protect the churches. We thank you for our partners all over the earth and for the good news we heard this week about the partners in Kenya, the House of Hope, and for the home that little James and Paul now have because of that ministry that, that continues. We thank you for upward cheer and basketball. We pray for your continued blessing upon that and for all of our partners for Pregnancy Help Center and for all of the ways that your love is manifested through that ministry and all of the others. And we pray for our upcoming vacation Bible camp this summer, even now as preparations are being laid for that. God, we... Uh, We are honest with you when we acknowledge that the pull of sin is still working in our lives. We pray that you will free us daily from the chains of sin and and lead us into that abundant life in Christ to which you've called us. Help us now as we pay attention to what you have for us. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. If you're able, would you stand as I read this aloud? I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overwhelmed, overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display 
the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. A little girl uh, came home from school one day and she was almost doubled over in pain and she told her mommy that her stomach hurt. And her mom said, well, maybe you need a snack. You know, sometimes when our stomachs are empty, uh, they, uh, they need food. And she said, when there's a stomach ache, uh, it's because they're empty. Little girl got a snack. She felt much better. A couple hours later, dad came home from work. He was rubbing his head and he said, man, I've got a headache. You're sharp this morning. Good for you. I didn't think, well, never mind. Uh, And she said, Daddy, I know why you have a headache, because it's empty. (laughs) Well, we all know about aching in the spiritual realm, and we all know about emptiness spiritually. And uh, I want to share with you, as if we were having a coffee conversation this morning, about what I believe Jesus Christ can do for us, the difference that Jesus Christ can make for the emptiness of life. Uh, it's a conversation, by the way, that I have had in more extended methodology over cups of coffee with people for years and years. And it's a conversation you perhaps have had as well. And it's a conversation the Apostle Paul uh, has and had. And, and his conversation in First Timothy will serve as our guide Because this passage of Scripture is not tightly structured as some Bible sections are, uh, you know, with a a very tight outline. It's rather free-flowing as if Paul is sitting down with us with a cup of coffee talking about the difference that Jesus Christ can make. So the first thing I want to say this morning is that Jesus Christ gives me strength and purpose. Jesus Christ gives me strength and purpose. Strength. In verse 12, Paul said, I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Strength for the big things, but also strength for the little things. Strength in good times and strength in bad times. And you know, one of the reasons that we reserve the title of Lord for Jesus and we don't use that title with anyone else or for anyone else in our lives is because Jesus Christ is above all. But I want you to know that that I don't look at Jesus as a dead hero whose example I follow. There are many wonderful heroes who are dead whose example I would like to emulate. But Jesus Christ is not a dead hero whom we try to uh, live like. Jesus Christ is living Lord. He conquered death. And when he conquered death, he became Lord. And as Lord... He shares his resurrection strength with us. He shares his resurrection power with us. And there's a big difference between the two, a dead hero and a living Lord who gives us strength. But not just strength, strength and purpose because Paul said, because he judged me, Christ judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. When Paul woke up each morning, he had a reason to get up. He had a purpose. Jesus Christ gave his life direction and meaning. Now, that's not true 
for everybody. In fact, in, in Paul's time in the first century of Rome, one of the most common inscriptions on Roman graves was the inscription that reads like this, I was, I am not, it does not matter. Wow, is that bleak or what? That all that there is is this life. I was here, I'm not here now, none of it matters. That is a view of life that is not just in the first century, but there are a lot of people whose life could be summarized with that epitaph. I was, I am not, it doesn't really matter. There has to be more to life than getting up and going to work and coming home and going to bed and doing the same thing the next day and doing the same thing for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and then retiring and dying. There has to be more to life than cleaning the dishes and then dirtying the dishes and then cleaning them again and then dirtying them again. There has to be more to life than doing the laundry and then wearing the clothes and then doing them again. There has to be more to life. Someone has said that to be without Christ is to, is to live life in which the soul has no companion. The soul has no friend. The Apostle Paul said, I have purpose. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, gives me strength and gives me purpose. Jesus Christ came after me, Paul would say in other places. Jesus Christ arrested me. See, when we're busy trying to waste our lives, we're busy trying to fritter away our lives, God is the one who comes after us and says, I have a purpose for you. There's a reason that you're on this earth. And God taps us on the shoulder and God calls us by name. And God loves us and God offers life to us. Strength and purpose. I would also say this about Jesus and what I know about him, that in meeting Jesus, I come face to face with my deep needs. When I meet Jesus, I come face to face with my deep needs. The Apostle Paul says in the next verse, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. Later on, he would call himself the chief sinner, the foremost sinner. Now, we don't like to talk about sin. We might talk about our mistakes, but we don't like to take responsibility morally for our sin. But the Apostle Paul was so transparent. He was so open. He was so honest. He said, I was the chief of sinners. And, and Paul was so upfront about his moral failings and his disobedience to God. See, our trouble is we just need to be honest about our sin and about the depth of our need. See, sin can probably be summarized this way. Sin is... Um, simply missing the point of who God is, missing the point of who Jesus is, and, and missing the point of who I am. That's what sin is, to, to, to have it all wrong about God and have it all wrong about Jesus and have it all wrong about myself. See, I am utterly lost and confused if I, if I believe in my self-creation, that I just got here on my own that all these blessings and the beauties of earth and the provision for my needs are all my doing. I'm the biggest fool in the world if I'm a self-creator, if I see myself that way. 
I am lost and confused if I see myself as self-sustainer, that somehow I have strength on my own to overcome illness and disease, to, to stay focused on, on life, to, to overcome adversity. I, I can't do that by myself. I'm confused and lost if I think I'm a self-rescuer, that somehow I can pull myself up out of sin, that this miry bog, this, this cycle of failure, this, this disobedience to God is something that I can pull myself out of. And I am so lost and confused if I somehow think that I can be my own judge and jury, that I can pronounce myself forgiven and cleansed, that I don't need anyone or anything beyond me pronouncing me clean and forgiven. See, the height of sin is that arrogance that says, I'm doing it all myself. I don't need God. Paul says, that's where I was. So on the heels of that, I want to tell you something else about Jesus. Jesus is all about mercy and grace. If you notice the second part of verse 13, he says, I received mercy from God because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And then verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. See, Jesus is is not all about condemnation and and judgment and, and keeping score. He's about grace and mercy. Aren't you glad? He's about grace and mercy. And and Paul says the grace overflowed. It's it's not just barely enough grace. No matter how deep we get into sin, God's arm can reach deeper. No matter how the stack of unpaid moral bills becomes, the indictments against us for disobeying God, the grace of God is always taller and greater. Uh, Imagine the, the, the Greek word is a container. That's spilling over. That's not only full, but spilling over. Uh, One of my favorite memories of growing up uh, as a boy was going to the Big Dipper in Stanbury, Missouri, an ice cream parlor. And I want to tell you that when they gave you a strawberry cone, they didn't just put a little bit on there, and they didn't put just moderate amount on there. They just stacked it on to where it was just dripping all around and spilling over. And every time I read a Bible passage about God's overflowing grace or manifold grace, and there are several references to it in Scripture, I think of that Big Dipper ice cream parlor where the ice cream just just was overflowing and dripping off of it. That's grace. See, that means God treats me better than I deserve. That means that Nobody is beyond God's reach. And three of my favorite words are mentioned in this this passage. Grace, mercy, and love. And that word love, you know, is agape, the highest form of love. It's it's self-giving love. It's love that doesn't depend on response. It's love that doesn't depend on uh, how it's treated in return. By the way... The Apostle Paul in his writings uses the noun agape 75 times. And he uses the verb form of agape, love, 35 times. Pretty important word. And it is that self-giving love, that, that anyhow love, that unconditional love. And we know about that part. We talk about that a lot. But something we don't spend time on is that agape means that 
the God of this universe is inviting us into personal relationship. Have you stopped to think about what that means? That the creator God who made all the atoms and, and, and all the molecules, who created all the planets, who made all the beautiful mountains and oceans, who made the intricate systems of our bodies, this great cosmic God wants to have a personal relationship with you and with me. That is mind-boggling. That's what agape means. It means friendship. It means that caring kind of concern. And I like what uh, author and pastor Tim Keller said about uh, coming to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He said something very insightful, and see if you can catch this. He said, if we come to God asking the question, what do I have to do to get this or that from God? He said, we're in trouble. Instead of asking, what do I have to do to get this or that thing from God? We need to be asking the question, what do I need to do to get God? See the difference? He said, when we start asking the question, what do I have to do to get this or that from God? you know, this blessing or bail me out of that crisis or fix that problem. He said, inevitably, we end up with a weak caricature, a distorted image of God, a, a, a God uh, and a frustrating relationship, a relationship that's not real and satisfying. But he said, when we come honestly and just say, what do I have to do to get God? Then we're opening our lives to that agape relationship to receive God's love. And then all of the important things come with it later. And that leads me to say what I would say would be the focal thing of my coffee time with you this morning, and that is that this Jesus invites us to trust him. That's how you come into personal relationship with God's love and God's person, by trusting. Because Paul went on to say... uh, The very reason, for this very reason, I receive mercy, so that in me, the foremost of sinners, Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To come to believe is to trust in, to rely on. Now, trust is a simple thing. Trust is a simple thing. We trust all the time. You're trusting that the seat you're sitting in right now will hold you up. You're not sitting there and fretting uh, if it's going to hold you up. Uh, When you came to church today, you got in a vehicle of some sort and you trusted that the brakes would work. You trust that oxygen will do its thing as you take a breath in, and you do that in an involuntary way. We trust all the time. Trust is simple, but trust is complicated. You know why trust is complicated? Because of our pride and because we think we need more evidence. We think we need more proof that God really loves us or that Jesus is who he says he is. I want to show you a quote by Blaise Pascal. It's a great great quote. A great Christian, a mathematician, a genius, a Frenchman, 
He once said, in faith, there is enough light for those who want to believe and enough shadows to blind those who do not. That's true, isn't it? What he's really saying is, if you're waiting for more evidence, you could be waiting the rest of your life because evidence by itself can't make anybody trust. And nobody's ever been argued into the family of God. It's an act of the will. It's a choice to trust. Because if you don't want to believe, all the evidence in the world won't matter. If if you've made up your mind not to trust, there's simply not enough evidence out there. And so Jesus invites us to trust him. I want to tell you about a friend of mine in Ukraine named Tolik. Uh, here he is with me, and notice we have the same hairstyle. Uh, great guy. He was my translator in Ukraine. I've told some of you parts of this story, uh, but I don't think I've told all of the story to all of you. Tolik was my translator, uh, and I preached the opening sermon of our, of our week with them in an opening pastor's retreat. And he was my translator, and I was telling a story in my sermon about a woman who'd gotten hooked on cocaine and through Christ was coming out of her cocaine habit. And I was just talking about the forces of darkness working in our world. And, and he translated, as far as I know, beautifully. And uh, the next day, I think, we were sitting down for a meal together. And I was getting better acquainted with Tolik. And, and he said, you know that story that I translated for you about the woman who was hooked on cocaine? He said, I know exactly what you were talking about because he said, that was me. I, I experienced the same thing. He said, I got hooked on cocaine. He said, I heard voices. He said, I I was paranoid. He said, I I had a terrible time. He said, I I moved from Ukraine years ago to Canada. And while in Canada, I got a good job in construction. And he said, I started making a lot of money. And he said, I got in the drug culture and I started uh, using drugs and I got hooked on cocaine. He said, it was destroying my life. I lost my job. I lost my apartment. And he said, one night, I was trying to retrieve my belongings that had been locked up in the apartment that I had been banished from. He said, I was on a third floor balcony and I fell to the ground. I broke both ankles, internal injuries. He said, but out of that experience of pain, I got off of cocaine and I found Jesus Christ and my life has been changed forever. And now he's working for the seminary in Ukraine with which we partner Now his life is on a brand new trajectory with purpose and strength and meaning. And now he is reaching people whom I could never reach for Jesus Christ because he's trusting in Christ. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, why do preachers always tell those stories about these drug addicts who turn to Jesus? And you're thinking, you know, that's not my problem. You know, my sin, my struggle is this or that or the other. I'll tell you why. Because that's the way Paul shared Paul said, I'm prime example number one. I was the biggest sinner, and Jesus saved me. Paul said, I was the biggest loss. I was the biggest nothing, and then Jesus rescued me. And Paul says in our scripture, if Jesus can save me, he can rescue you too. Because that's the way the gospel works. When we hear those stories about people who trust in Jesus, 
then we know that Jesus can work in our lives too. So I'm inviting you this morning to trust in Jesus, to find in Him your strength, your purpose, to hear the honesty from Jesus about your sin and brokenness, to to believe that He loves you that much, that His grace overflows, and to trust Him, to trust Jesus. Let's bow our heads together.